listening to the Barcode Podcast with your host, Chris Glandon, serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Yo, Tone, I'm loving the new barcade look. Oh, hey, Chris. Yeah, man, baby. All security theme retro games here. Check it out. We got Shadowrun, Space Invaders, and even GTA. I got to keep it real. Love it. And the fact that they all require a session token to play. Nice touch. Hey, man, you know, I got to keep it old school. Online game these days, they're not easy to protect. You get hackers. They're taking over the game, stealing weapons, gold from others, and all this other bullshit. You know, back when we were growing up, you had to hack your own game with cheat codes. Nintendo Power was the exploit DB of its day. Yeah, man. You know, I spent countless nights on my controller hitting up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, start. So anyway, what you got lined up for me today? So you remember that blue dude who used to run around collecting uh, those coins? You know, the millennials call it Bitcoin now. You know what I'm talking about, the blue guy? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sonic the Hedgehog. Bro, I need to shot after him. It's layered. Check it. Grenadine on the bottom. Peppermint schnapps in the middle. Blue carousel on top. Good luck. Oh, yeah. That's what I call a kill shot. Well, I got to go link up with an expert in online game hacking. Right on. All right, man. Well, I'll see you next level. Hey, Tony. Uh, can I get $5 worth of tokens? This Jacaranda Gym game it looks absolutely smashing. Cheers. I'm here with Matt, the co-founder and COO of Cyrex. Matt specializes in software development and application security with a very strong focus on the gaming industry. He's been awarded by major companies such as Apple, Facebook, Google, and LinkedIn for disclosing zero days. A highly experienced AppSec engineer and expert pen tester, Matt, welcome to Barcode. Hey, hey, Chris, how are you doing? It's, uh, it's truly an honor to be here today, and uh, I'm very excited to talk about game hacking and security in general. Absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to it. So if you don't mind, talk to me a bit about your background. How did you get into online game hacking? Yeah, I think on my side, ga gaming was something that I've always been very passionate about, especially online multiplayer games where you have that competitive element where you're actually competing with players and where you eventually you want to be the best, right? And for me, that competition element was very interesting and intriguing to me. So uh, I'm a big fan of multiplayer games. Now, when it comes to online game hacking, I would say hacking or cheating in gaming very much started at a young age. Uh, I believe it was, I was about 14 years old when I hacked my first multiplayer game. And the reason I was continuously looking for ways to cheat in game was really to optimize my time and progress in game as fast as possible. And I remember my parents being very strict when it came to spending time on the computer. So at that time, uh, me and my friends, we were playing this particular online multiplayer game. So to keep up with them or to, or to be better than them, I really had to find 
other ways to progress faster than they did without really having to put in that level of effort that they did really without being on that grind. Of, co of course, this has no actual relation to my professional career as a gaming penetration tester, but it does give you some background on how I involved in the game hacking scene and how I eventually used all this experience for the sake of securing games rather than exploiting them, of course, which, which is a pretty significant shift. And I think my, my professional career or, or my professional online gaming, game hacking career uh, really started uh, when I founded Cyrex uh, together with my business partner, Tim. Uh, we founded Cyrex when we were in our last year at university at the time. And I, I remember that at that same time, uh, Tim, uh, my co-founder, he was volunteering as a community manager at Gameforge, uh, which is a large game publisher based in Germany. Uh, and they're offering a wide range of online multiplayer games and both being very or incredibly passionate about security and gaming, obviously, we really started hacking the games from Gameforge. And for every vulnerability that we found, we disclosed it, we reported it to Gameforge. And the cool thing really is that Gameforge, they, they were, were extremely grateful for our findings and they pretty much rewarded us in terms of bounties. So basically, we'd receive a bounty for each security flaw we found and disclosed. And of course, the amount of the money we got for it was very much based on the severity of that vulnerability. So pretty similar to a bug bounty program, I would say. And of course, it was not very cost effective to Gameforge because Tim and I, we really kept finding medium to critical level vulnerabilities. And this is at a very fast pace. So, so at some point, Gameforge, we, we, we had a call with them uh, since they were spending a lot, of, uh, a lot of money on this. And again, it's not cost effective. So we, we had a call with these guys and they said like, hey, why not do this project based, right? Uh, why not have an actual penetration testing project? Meaning there's going to be longer engagements, meaning there's going to be multiple iterations. And more importantly, on their side, it's going to be actual fixed pricing. Uh, and I, I remember this was really how we got into online game hacking from a professional perspective. And I have to say from day one, we were really hooked and we knew this is the path that we want to take. This is what, what we want to do for the rest of our lives. And as of today, we are still pursuing this dream of becoming, well, really the gold standard when it comes to security and the gaming industry. Yeah, that's an awesome story. It's almost like the stars aligned where you had the resource from GameForge, but then also the flexibility to do testing on those games and get rewarded for it at the same time, which I guess a lot of other pen testers don't typically have those resources at their disposal. Yeah, that's true. I mean, GameForge has been a true door opener to us, uh, both from a business perspective, but also in understanding like, what are we actually passionate about? What do we want to do for the rest of our lives, right? Uh, and, and indeed, if we're talking about resources or opportunities, uh, this was really a huge opportunity to us. Uh, and based on this opportunity, uh, we really started uh, targeting the gaming industry and really reaching out to uh, gaming studios and game publishers that were doing the same things that Gameforge was doing and really see if they resonate as much with penetration testing and security specific to their online multiplayer games. And eventually, uh, well, it became clear that there was, of course, a very big interest 
when it came to cheating and hacking, because from what we understood is that this is a real pain in the gaming industry. I mean, everything in regards to hacking and cheating, this is something that gaming studios or publishers are encountering or experiencing on a daily basis. Understood. And talk to me a bit about the origin of online game hacking and and the history, where it all started. Was it sort of born out of hardware modifications? Do you see it more in software glitches or did it just evolve as application vulnerabilities in general evolved over time? Yeah, that's a good question. And again, I've not been in the industry for more than 30 years. So my my, my backstory or my, my history is quite limited in terms of what happened in the gaming industry the last 10 to 40 years. Uh, but I would definitely say uh, when we're talking about hacking and cheating in gaming, it's very much software related. Um, and if we go way back, uh, there, was, there wasn't really such a thing as online multiplayer games, right? I mean, there were only single player games. Uh, think about uh, Grand Theft Auto, Need for Speed, FIFA. And there was really no point in, in hacking these games, even though you perfectly could. But from a gaming standpoint, well, you'd just be ruining your own gameplay and the story. And I think when it comes to single player games, the story behind it is one of the most important assets of that game. So cheating is really not beneficial there. But of course, like I said, there's really nothing stopping you from hacking the game. So I would say when it comes to a single player game hacking, well, it's mostly about modifying the local database or, or rather configuration files or just modding the client side. Uh, but on top of that, if we look back at the single player games back in the days, they actually had built in games or built in cheats, sorry. Um, and, and sure, it, it was fun to use them at first, but soon it became, well, but, but it, it becomes very boring. And I think one of the key things when it comes to cheating is once you unlock everything through cheating or through hacking, well, the game is no longer attractive and you basically move on. And that, that's the same thing with online multiplayer games as well. And I think at the time where you mostly had single player games, it, it was more about piracy. And when, whenever we're talking about hacking or cheating or, or mostly hacking in this case, um, where, where, where games would get cracked and they would be distributed across the Internet, uh, especially if we think about uh, tools like LimeWire. This was a huge channel to download games from or, or pirated games, at least. So what, what we saw there as a countermeasure uh, was that DRMs and anti-temper solutions were becoming uh, very popular. I, I mean, these solutions, they are very similar to the anti-cheat solutions that we have today when it comes to protecting online multiplayer games. They also reside on the client side, meaning any skilled hacker can still get around them, but they are, of course, an additional layer to protect the player or to protect the business. But in essence, when it comes to DRMs or anti-cheat, it's always been, and it will always be, just a cat and mouse game between the developer and the hackers. But of course- and DRM is digital rights management, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Yeah, I, I noticed that the motivation of attackers have morphed also and, and have evolved from, like you mentioned, your experience was more from the competitive aspect to give you a competitive advantage. Um, right. But if you're looking at modern day attackers and, and 
modern day gaming, what else are attackers after? What are some of the motives? What can they actually gain uh, from hacking? Is there a monetary incentive there for them or what are they typically after? Yeah, I would say there's a huge monetary in, uh, incentive there. I mean, the financial gains that you can get out of hacking games, it's insane, especially when we're talking about online multiplayer games that have their own in-game economy, especially where players can trade items between each other. These are a perfect business case for malicious actors. And the only thing that is needed on the side of these malicious actors is really to find a way to generate large volumes of in-game wealth to then sell it off for real money on dedicated platforms. I mean, if you're looking on the internet and you want to buy gold for World of Warcraft, for instance, or for any other game, there's going to be a huge offer. And again, a game like World of Warcraft or RuneScape or, or whatever, uh, they are very similar because they also have that in-game economy and that trading system between players. And I would say for a malicious actor, the best way to make money on top of these games is to really find vulnerabilities that would allow them to generate in-game wealth. Uh, and the best example that I could give you there is think about a vulnerability where you would be able to duplicate items or where you would be able to just spawn items. I mean, this is a huge advantage for a malicious actor to, to make money on because they would be able to really just on demand spawn items or duplicate items and then just sell them off. Yeah, and I think selling virtual items has been around for a while, right? I mean, I remember friends telling me about WoW or World of Warcraft where a player would obtain coins and then in turn go on eBay and sell it online for real money. And it was just crazy for me to hear that because I was never really focused on PC gaming, really. In my era, it was all about console gaming and, and just being able to enter in a simple contra code on your controller, you know? And it was, uh, it just seemed to me more straightforward to achieve a competitive age. So yeah, it's, it's come a long way. True. And it's, it's not only by um, exploiting vulnerabilities that gold or in-game items are being generated. It's very, well, what is a very, um, what's the word? An actual problem right now is anything in regards to botting or macroing mm -hmm. uh, where players are automating certain actions in game and especially actions that are very time intensive and are taking a lot of time. They're starting to write scripts. They're starting to automate all these actions in order to generate gold. And this is where you have actual bot farms. So it's not one player that is playing the game and is doing a certain skill or a certain money-making method in game. They have thousands and thousands of bot farms that are running every day, 24 seven. And I mean, if you're going to start commute, com accumulating all that generated gold or items, I mean, it's very significant. Gotcha. So talk to me about the architecture, you know, in a typical distributed application framework, you have client server architecture. And I assume a game framework is structured the same way where the client is the player and the server is the game engine. Could you talk to me about how that relates and also where are the common infiltration points within that architecture 
that an attacker would target. Right, right. Yeah, I would say when it comes to gaming, it's very uh, similar to uh, ar- to the architecture of a traditional application, let's say a web platform or a mobile application. I mean, you're always going to have a client site, which is the actual game. So let's say we're talking about a PC online game. So the PC game itself is going to be the client site. But of course, there's going to be server side code or source code running on the backend services of the developers. And this is what we call the server side. And the, the, the client side will always be communicating with the server side. So whenever you move in game, a request is going to be sent to the server side. Whenever you trade a player, whenever you kill an NPC or whenever you do any action, basically in game, there's always going to be a communication between the client side and the server side. So in that, from that perspective, it's quite similar to traditional applications. But of course, I mean, if we're talking about multiplayer games, it's a lot more complex in terms of technology. Also, I mean, well, when we're talking about the server side, you mostly see two type of backend services. One is the regular backend service uh, that is very much non-gaming related, uh, meaning any action that you perform basically out of the game, uh, which ranges from authentication to registration to matchmaking. These are the regular requests. And in order to perform these requests, the client side will use an API in order to communicate with the server side. But of course, you also have the gameplay service. And this is a very different service than than uh, than technologies that are used like APIs or WebSockets. There, what, what we are seeing, it's it's pretty much actual remote procedure calls that are being used in order to communicate between the client side and the server side. So there you'll have actual packets that are being sent over TCP and UDP protocols. So that is quite unique in the gaming industry and you will not find in any other applications uh, in the traditional industry. Uh, so, so very exciting stuff, I would say. Yeah, I, I definitely say that's, that is unique. And at Cyrex, I mean, you essentially pen test this sort of a unique architecture and the gaming software as well to identify vulnerabilities and, and break the system, literally. Yeah. So talk to me about your testing methodology. You know, how is the inspection or the reverse engineering process done and maybe what tooling is available or, or that you guys leverage to do this with? Is it proprietary tooling or is it standard tooling that you would typically see in AppSec? Yeah, so the approach, look, when, whenever we're performing penetration testing on games, it's all about validating the server-side security controls. I mean, if you as a developer or as a game publisher want to be in control over what is happening within your game, then everything needs to be validated on the server side. So if your player is moving, if your player is trading, if your player is shooting, everything has to be validated there. So from a vulnerability perspective, we always look for vulnerabilities on the server side, meaning there is a lack of server side security controls on the backend services. Now, how do we validate that? That is by intercepting that communication layer that I was talking about. So we intercept the packets that are being communicated between the client side and the server side. 
And like you mentioned, this is very different in terms of protocols. It, it's, it looks very different as well if you're trying to read out such packets. And therefore, we indeed developed proprietary internal tools in order to be able to fully understand what is being communicated between the client and the server site. Because again, it is not a simple API that is using a JSON format. These are actual packets that are encrypted, that are serialized, and they have certain uh, formats and, and, and very proprietary protocols. Uh, I mean, if you're talking about Unreal Engine, you're going to see Unreal Engine networking service. If you're going to talk about Unity, then things like Photon Pun, Photon Bolt are being used. So it is something that is very, very custom. And this really makes us unique when it comes to penetration testing. Nice. Very cool, man. Are you using typical traffic analysis tools like Wireshark or something similar that provides you visibility in, into that traffic flow? Yeah, that's a very good question. And indeed, it's one of the steps in, in order to understand. Well, we, we do use tools like Wiresharks in order to understand like where is the, the client side communicating with, uh, like on which domain name or IP address uh, resides the server side? Because we also need to know that if we want to intercept the traffic, we need to know where the traffic comes from. So Wireshark is definitely going to help us in understanding where, what, what does the uh, communication consist of? But of course, there are additional layers like encryption, like serialization. And whenever your traffic is encrypted, I mean, Wireshark is not going to magically decrypt it for you. So yeah. what we do there is we use the process of reverse engineering the actual game because the game is always able to both encrypt and decrypt the packets because there's a bi-directional communication going on. I mean, whenever the client side sends a request to the server side, it will encrypt it. Whenever the server side responds to that same request, the client side will decrypt it. So we have basically all the functionality already on our device, but of course it's within the binary itself. So therefore we either have to reverse engineer the game client itself. And it's very much based on the programming language the game has been written in. I mean, if you're talking about high level programming languages like C Sharp or Java, then you can easily decompile it. But if you're talking about low-level programming languages like C or C++, well, then you'll have to uh, reverse engineer the binary because of the nature of how the game was or the build was compiled. So when we're, whenever we reverse engineer, it's basically on an assembly level. So basically instruction sets, it's, it's probably the most deepest form of well, it's not even a programming language, I would say. It's, it's really just instructions. And based on these instructions, we try and derive or extract the encryption methods. We, we, we extract uh, the serialization methods and whatever we need in order for our tool to um, correctly work. Now, when you're inspecting source code and manipulating source code, how deep can you get? Is it to a point where you know, you're looking at controller instructions to where it may say you press button X and your character moves right. I mean, at what level can you change code to modify player movements? Right. So we're definitely never gonna start reading out the input or output. Uh, it's all about the communication, like I said previously. So it's all about the packets that are being crafted on the client side. These we will first intercept 
by doing a man-in-the-middle attack. We, we intercept the, the, the request that we're sending from the client side. So let's assume we want to move in-game. So the client is going to send a movement packet to the server side. But before it goes to the server side, we want to intercept it. So we want to be in the middle. Therefore, we have our man-in-the-middle tool to intercept the traffic. We modify the values within that packet. And in most cases, if we're talking about a player packet or a movement packet, uh, you're going to see X, Y, Z um, values uh, as part of a vector. So basically coordinates to where the player wants to move, right? And there we, we just modify these values. We, we encrypt the packet again. We serialize the packet again, and we send it to the server site. Whenever the server site responds to our packet, we again intercept it before we send it to the client. Got it. So one of the most popular platforms of online gaming is MMORPG, which stands for Massively Multiplayer Online Role-Playing Game. And it essentially refers to games where thousands of players come together in the same virtual world, if you will. Due to the just insane amount of individuals online at once when you talk about this platform and and the complexity involved with the code alone what are some of the common vulnerabilities you find in mmo rpg games yeah uh, i would say that there are a lot of very common vulnerabilities and it's it's actually not very specific to mmorpgs you we're always going to find the same vulnerabilities in an online first person shooter game for instance now, to give you an idea of the type of vulnerabilities that we're looking for or that we find, I would definitely say the number one vulnerability is going to be business logic flaws. I mean, every application that you write, whether it's a game or it's not a game, all the logic is going to be custom and it, it has or entails certain business logic. Um, and, and the best example that I can give you there is uh, from a multiplayer uh, or online multiplayer game perspective is... Uh, imagine you are starting a quest in game. In this quest, you can proceed and finally you will be able to complete that quest. Now, upon completion, you would always get a certain reward, being it experience, being it an item, whatever it is that you get. Now, one of the flaws there could be that you would be able to keep sending that you, re- uh, that you uh, completed that certain, re- uh, that certain quests and you would continuously receive that same reward. So the flaw here is that the server side did not check whether or not the player already um, completed that quest. And this is a business logic flaw that actually uh, results into item duplication. And this is something that we actually found multiple times in MMORPGs. And I, and I guess I don't have to explain the implications that this could have on an in-game economy level. Now, next to business logic flaws, there are a lot of different other flaws uh, like access control flaws. And an access control flaw is basically a vulnerability where the permissions of your player are not correctly validated. So this would mean that I, as a regular player, for instance, would be able to perform moderator commands because the server side is not validating. Is this player a moderator? Yes or no. Uh, other flaws could be uh, session management flaws or authentication flaws where there are issues with uh, JWT tokens or just a session uh, token in general. Uh, these could be, uh, there could be remote code executions uh, on both sides, either on the client side or on the server side. Like 
there are so many different um, vulnerabilities that you can encounter. And, and the vulnerabilities that we find are, are pretty much the same as in any other traditional application, but the concept around it is different because we're talking about a game here and it's very, very different than any other financial or accounting uh, platform. Understood. So would you say the vulnerabilities align with those in the OWASP top 10 or, you know, typical vulnerabilities you would discover in a web app pen test? Yeah, and I think there are definitely there's definitely other ter- terminology when it comes to vulnerabilities in games. I mean, if we're talking no clipping or wall hacking or speed hacking, but mm. in essence, it's still a business logic flaw. So whatever you want to call it, in the end, it's going to be either a business logic flaw or an access control flaw. So, so there's definitely overlap there in terms of terminology. Got it. You mentioned anti-cheat. Would you just briefly explain what anti-cheat is and just a high level of how it works? Yeah. Okay. So an anti-cheat solution is pretty much a solution that is wrapped around the game itself. So it's a client-side solution. So whenever you download a game that has anti-cheat, you're going to download that anti-cheat with you. Now, what is so unique or or interesting about anti-cheats is they are constantly monitoring what you as a player are doing. Um, so they're monitoring if you are, for instance, uh, uh, hooking a DLL into your game, if you are, have certain processes open like Cheat Engine, for instance, like these are the very basic checks. Uh, it's also gonna check if you're running your game on a virtual machine. Um, for mobile games, for instance, it's gonna check if you are running the game on a jailbroken device, if we're talking iOS, or if you're running it on a rooted device, if we're talking about Android. So these are all client-side measures and client-side checks that that these anti-cheat solutions are doing to make sure that you are running the game on a uh, regular traditional platform without doing any funky stuff. I see. So my bartender, Tony, he's hooked on Call of Duty Mobile. What, what, Chris? What are you saying? What kind of drink do you want? I'm on a shooting spree. Just help yourself. While you're back there, grab me a Red Bull. He claims that other gamers are playing on desktops, which allow for these complex scripts to be ran that allow cheating to occur, which obviously would leave him at a disadvantage. You know, is it possible desktop and mobile based platforms can interact on a mobile only version of the game? And if so, how does anti cheat come into play here? Right. Yeah, and that, that's a very valid point, and I can definitely see the issue here. Um, look, but by nature or by default, an anti-cheat is obviously going to work. So if you're trying uh, to join a, a lobby from your PC into a mobile lobby, well, by default, it's, it's not going to work. But the thing with anti-cheat is that it resides on the client side. And like I said, this is a piece of software, a piece of code that you're downloading. So everything that you download over on your device, you pretty much have control over as a player, as a hacker. So this means that all these detection mechanisms that these anti-cheats have, they can be bypassed through either decompilation or reverse engineering. So you can pretty much render the entire anti-cheat obsolete. 
Of course, it does require a certain skill set to understand how does it work under the hood? What is it checking for? Which checks should I as a hacker disable in order uh, to bypass the entire anti-cheat solution? But in the case that you're describing, I mean, it's very possible that the anti-cheats on the iOS or on the PC are fully disabled and they're just spoofing and, and telling the server side that they are uh, running the game on mobile, but instead they are actually playing it from their PC. When you look at smaller game studios, do you find that they typically have an SDLC framework in place? If not, is that something that Cyrex can come in and assist them with? Uh, the, the thing is that Cyrex, we mostly work with, how do I call it, more mature uh, companies that have been around for quite a while and that have a certain awareness when it comes to security. And, they, and some of them, they do have indeed internal resources and actual security departments but for gaming, it's it's very different. Like I said, penetration testing of games is very different if you would compare it with pen testing of traditional uh, applications. And therefore, these bigger companies, they really want to rely on our expertise because they know we do not have this level of hands-on experience in-house. And we will potentially, we will never have this because it's so unique and it's very niche uh, in terms of expertise and capabilities. Yeah, very true. Outside of the technology perspective, I'm also curious about the non-technical aspect of game hacking, you know, along the lines of information disclosure over, over, uh, over a gaming headset via voice chat. Have you delved into that at all from a social engineering perspective? Oh, yeah. I, th I think anything in regards to social engineering and phishing, it, it's extremely common, in, in, especially in online multiplayer games. Uh, again, games where you have that in-game economy and where players can trade, this is where malicious actors will get involved and will try and get your credentials from your account. They will trick you into signing up on certain platforms where then you will complete your credentials or fill in your credentials, and then they will check if the credentials also were reused for your, for your account. Uh, so there are definitely a lot of things going on there when it comes to social engineering. They might even send you certain files that are backdoors or remote access tools uh, so they can really get access to your computer environment and from there really steal your account or hijack your sessions. Uh, it, it, it's even that bad that there are certain uh, voice over IP tools uh, where you can be in a chat with a player and there they extract the actual IP address of their target that they are talking to. And then in game, they arrange, for instance, a, a certain high risk fight uh, where, where the player, where both players would be risking their items upon death. Uh, but when, once they start fighting, for instance, uh, the malicious actor would, would start DDoSing the IP address of the target. Oh, wow. And in this way, indeed, he would just easily, well, it's a huge advantage, of course, because, I mean, um, the, the target would be um, disconnected at that point and just lose his items just like that. Yeah. If you want to carry out a DDoS attack against another gamer, it could be serious. I mean, that type of an attack could be as impactful to that player as, say, a hit against a financial institution. 
hundred percent. And to be honest, it all sounds very technical when we're talking about DDoSing or when we're talking about uh, backdooring or keylogging uh, your targets. But to be honest, if you're just looking online, you can pretty much find everything just out of the box, like plug and play. Uh, so you don't need to be an expert in, in, in terms of security or hacking or, or programming and development. Uh, everything is already there on the market. Either you buy it or you just download it, of course, and there's going to be the risk of malware. But nevertheless, I mean, all these tools, they do exist and they are out there. It's just a matter of knowing where to look for. Yeah, and those are resources to obtain hacking tools. Although what resources exist for those looking to get into game hacking? For instance, are there any game emulators out there where folks can learn game security? Yeah, I would say there's a good amount of resources when it comes to game security or game hacking in general. Of course, it's not as popular as the traditional security or application security, but there are definitely a lot of resources online. Um, think about uh, forums uh, like guided hacking, like uh, multiplayergamehacking.net, uh, that are very focused on hacking games. Uh, there are multiple books explaining the inner working, inner workings of games and its networking features. Uh, and there are there are indeed actual certain labs or, or platforms where you can hack a game and test out your skills. And one of the the most uh, popular um, resources for that would be called Poon Adventure. It's it's kind of a mini MMORPG. Uh, where you can actually start hacking your the game and you will get certain rewards for hacking certain functionality. So it's really made with the incentive of finding security flaws, exploiting these flaws, and eventually getting a, a reward for it. So this is definitely a very great resource. Um, of course, there are multiple, multiple videos when it comes to game hacking as well. Uh, not all of them are, are that accurate, of course, uh, but I would say... If you want to learn about game hacking, it's going to be really a combination of all of these resources that are pretty much scattered around the internet. Um, and the thing with gaming is, is that you have so many different technologies, different architectures, uh, different engines, uh, devices that the game is running on, meaning different game builds or binaries. Uh, so the approach is always going to be quite different for every type of game that you want to hack. So uh, it, it, there, there's, a, there's a lot of capabilities and skill set that it requires in order to really start penetration testing or hacking a game. So, so therefore, I would definitely recommend learning about, first of all, reverse engineering and how it works. Uh, same thing with decompilation. I would definitely recommend learning about low-level programming languages like C and C++. Then there's a big deal of cryptography involved as well when we're talking about encryption. Uh, same thing with data compression when we're talking about serialization. And of course, then you also have these custom network protocols, for instance, for Unity or Unreal Engine or any other custom protocol that is built on top of UDP or TCP. And then finally, you can start learning about how to intercept uh, data uh, from a communication layer. So. There's a lot that is involved and in game hacking is really something uh, that I personally I'm, I'm super passionate about just because it is that challenging. It sounds to me like Cyrex needs to develop an online game hacking certification. 
That, that, that is a very good point, and it's definitely something that we've been uh, thinking about. Uh, but as of right now, we are really invested in the growth of, of Cyrex and becoming that gold standard in the security or, or when it comes to security in the gaming industry. Uh, but it's definitely something to consider and uh, keep, keep uh, on our minds. <laughs> definitely. You know, outside of the online game hacking in terms of services that Cyrex offers, could you Maybe do a quick rundown of that and, and how folks that may be interested or listening to this uh, get in touch with you guys to learn more. Right. Yeah. So again, penetration testing uh, specific to applications. So application security is really our core focus and it will always be. We, 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 we basically uh, secure applications. This is what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and not only in the, in the gaming industry, we're very active in the financial industry as well where we work on mobile banking applications, uh, where we do a lot of reverse engineering as well. Uh, we're very active in, uh, in the cryptocurrency scene uh, when it comes to security, where we are performing audits uh, for smart contracts, uh, where we make sure blockchain-based applications are fully secure. Uh, and then finally, another service that we have is called load testing. Uh, and it's, it's super interesting. It's, it's fairly new, uh, but we're getting a huge amount of traction uh, on this load testing service, especially in the gaming industry. And what it does is we basically simulate half a million of actual players, but bots, of course, and we integrate with any type of functionality in that game to really understand, is your game going to be able to handle X amount of players whenever it launches? So basically, is your game ready for success? Will it crash? Is your architecture will it be able to handle it is your infrastructure strong enough so it's it's a super cool um service that we're currently uh, very much invested in uh but i would say th these are the, the two main services as of today that has to be a very unique offering that i can't imagine many if any companies offer right now Exactly. I think especially with load testing as well. I mean, there is, of course, these uh, tests like stress testing, which are very oriented on DDoSing and seeing like, OK, well, what happens if we send multiple, multiple requests at the same time? But our load testing is very different because we actually perform in-game actions. So if you would start looking from the game perspective, you would see actual thousands and thousands of players suddenly running in game. And these are, of course, all our bots and they will, would be performing certain actions. But it gives you a very good understanding of all the services that you have running uh, on top of your game. Are they going to uh, handle all these requests properly? properly? Just, like, just like you would have, you would actually have 10,000s of players. So this is kind of what we're simulating here. So it's, it's, it's very much uh, realistic, I would say. So let's just say I set up a MMO RPG game here at barcode. What would be your advice to secure it from a player standpoint? I would say from a player perspective, it's all about protecting your own device or, or more specifically, it's about protecting your own account and the best measures there. I would 100% recommend uh, having unique passwords. And I know it's, it, it's lame, but 
it's very fundamental. So always have a password manager. So you only should remember one password, which is your master password in order to access your password manager. And from there, you will have all different accounts with, with generated unique passwords that you do not have to remember. And you just simply copy paste them from there. So that is one, have a very unique password for every account. Then of course, two-factor authentication would definitely be recommended. Uh, just in case your account would get or your credentials would get compromised, then still you would have that additional layer of blocking the malicious actor to actually log in or authenticate on your account. Uh, so these two metrics or uh, measures I would definitely recommend. But of course, there's a lot of other overkill stuff that you can do on your <laughs> PC. Uh, but I think these are two very quick gains. How about running a game over VPN? Would that provide any added protection when gaming online? Well, look, whenever you're playing a game and hopefully, and this is on the, the publisher side, on the, dev the game developer side, but hopefully all the data that is communicated between the, the game itself and the server side is all encrypted. So even if there would be a, a rogue Wi-Fi or router and they are sniffing the network, then it still would all be encrypted, that traffic. So it would pretty much be useless. Of course, I mean, there's always additional steps that an, a malicious actor can take to then ultimately uh, decrypt also the traffic. But I would say uh, you're pretty much covered uh, for, for, from that point of view. Understood. So my bartender here just yelled last call. You got time for one more? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Awesome. Well, if you opened a cybersecurity themed bar, what would the name be? And what would your signature drink be called? Yeah, I, th I think I would call the bar the Lion's Den. Uh, since the Cyrix logo is a lion as well, and we're all tigers or lions, uh, all hack a group, pretty much a collective of ethical hackers. So the Lion's Den sounds pretty interesting to me, especially for a bar as well. Uh, now, when it comes to the drink, that's a good one. Uh, what do you have for, for drinks? Give me, give me, give me some suggestions. <laughs> um, all right, let me think. So... <clears throat> You know, you could call it the Unreal drink because of the Unreal engine. Right. That's, that's actually a good one. Uh, the Unreal drink. Sure. Why not? Because <laughs> <laughs> then it's just, uh, you know, it's so good. It's Unreal. Exactly. <laughs> Makes full sense. <laughs> and uh, Epic Games is going to be very happy with this as well. <laughs> there you go, man. You, uh, you, just, you just gave him a shout out. Nice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Awesome, Matt. Well, thanks for your time, man. This has been educational for myself, and I'm sure it's been educational for our listeners. Uh, what is the Cyrix site? And then also, where can our users connect with you online? Yeah, so uh, the website is Cyrix Tech. So tech from technology, CyrixTech.net is the website. And they can connect with me on LinkedIn, yeah, that's pretty much it. Or, or Matt, Matt, yeah, Matt Mathieu at cyrixtag.net is the email. Uh, so sure, shout out, please. Perfect. Matt, thanks again, man. You be safe. And uh, I look forward to more services that Cyrex puts out. And let's keep our gamers safe. Okay, thank you very much, Chris. Have a great day. Barco patrons. If you like this episode and would like to support the podcast, rate us on Apple Podcasts and visit our Patreon site, patreon.com slash barcode podcast. 
you're interested in sponsoring the show, check out the barcodepodcast.com slash sponsor. Cheers. Unfortunately, it's time to shut the bar down for this episode. Thanks for stopping in. See you next time. We'll save you a seat. Be sure to check us out at thebarcodepodcast.com.